little pot again. He is the president of the Ooh, Bendigo Athletics on. Club. Where the... B-A-C-I-O Radio Long Gully Baccio Radio We talk about the albums that everyone used to rock out to 20 years ago Hey, 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 alright there It's Big Riggs here from Baccio Radio Gobshite and Wallet Chains on Infinite Repeat How are you feeling out there? How's that pre-workout going for you? Is it melting your face? I'm hungry I need a singer Where's a singer? Today we're talking about songs for the deaf. All right, Psychonaut, we're finally doing it. Queens of the Stone Age, Songs for the Deaf, an album I absolutely thrashed when it first came out. And it's always held this place in my mind as like, you know, the most complete album or an incredibly driven, focused record. And I've heard people say the lyrics are dark and depressing and it's a heavy album. I I never, ever thought that. I just thought it was like a... An incredible rock album. So Psychonaut, I'm really interested to hear, how have you been going back in on this album? Maybe you didn't go back in on it because it never left your rotation. I'm not sure. Has it made you fall in love with Dave Grohl all over again? No, you're right. It's never left my rotation because I think that I think that this album is pretty much the best album that that time period has given us. If not the, definitely one of the best albums that they've given us. It's... Everybody I know that got into Queens of the Stone Age got into it through Songs for the Deaf. Everybody. And people might have dalliance with Rated R. Like, I remember the lost start of Keeping the Secret was getting rotation on MTV2 over here. But that album, that is their third album, wasn't it? Because they did a self-titled album on Roadrunner before Rated R. Yeah, so it would have been... I think their third studio album. Yeah, it, it was just, it was big. It, regardless if Dave Grohl appeared on it or not, but Dave Grohl appearing on it just added that little bit more kind of legitimacy regarding, well, if Dave Grohl thinks this is cool, then there must be something special about them. And the album's nearly flawless, man. I think that Queens of the Stone Age have always kind of chased that dragon that is Songs for the Deaf. And they've come close, but yeah, I just, you think back about that time period in music and you can close your eyes and immediately see the album cover for Songs of the Deaf, can't you? It's just burnt there on the back of your eyeballs. And it was an album that kind of meandered a little bit here and there, you know, but ultimately it could afford to meander because fundamentally despite the fact that the styles had changed the sound the production value was always there it's almost a perfect album rigs it is like in my mind like i said in the intro that it always had this space of like this is the complete album but going back into it a few things were happening because i'm like i thrashed this too much like in 2002 2003 any car i got in was basically playing this album guaranteed oh yeah it it was car stereo essential wasn't it absolutely like every drive to melbourne from bendigo would just be this album on repeat every party you went to was this album it was 
everywhere. Anytime you turn on the TV, no one knows. Bam. But man, I'm just going to go straight into this because this might be controversial. The parts where this album meanders, I wonder if they're the same for you and me because it's usually when Lanigan pops up and I don't know Lanigan at all. Like rest in peace, Mark Lanigan. Apparently he's, he was amazing and did some incredible things, but I don't know much of his shit. But every time he popped up, I was like, ah, oh, next. That's, that's a shit take, isn't it? No, uh, because you always expect it to either be Josh Homme or Nick Oliveri who are doing the vocals. But I know that Lanigan was involved with that band before Queen's, uh, before, sorry, Songs of the Death. Didn't he? I'm sure he did like autopilot. Wasn't that on Rated R or was that on Songs for the Death? I think he was always in the Desert Sessions sort of vibe, but like he just seems so laconic in his style. I'm like, put some effort in. You got Nick going off chops. Yeah, but no, 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 no. But that, that was the charm of Lanigan, even back when he was doing screaming trees era as as the vocalist there his beauty lay in the laconicness of his voice like for example look at uh shannon hoon from blind melon you know the laconicness in his voice is what made shit like no rain or his guesting on guns and roses don't cry that's what made it so i think you needed lanigan because he had that leathery kind of voice box that you can tell has smoked a thousand cigarettes, drunk a thousand cup of coffees. And, you know, Josh Homme seems to have had nothing but an adulated respect towards the guy. So, having said that, yeah, whenever a Lanigan track comes on, you know it's kind of... I don't know if, it, if I'm in the mood for this. Yeah, and I'm like, when will I ever be in the mood for it? Oh, I wasn't in the mood for it 20 years ago. I'm not in the mood for it now. Yeah, but I think that's a problem with Queens of the Stone Age is when they slow it down and try and do those kind of sexy, slowed down kind of scintillate. You know, like um one of their more late, one of their later singles, I Want to Make, make it, it With you. you. I knew you were going to say that. I'm the same. Yeah. I, ha- I fucking hated that song because I thought it was just, it just went nowhere. I mean, I get it. It's a sex jam. Closer by Nine Inch Nails is a sex jam and there was still a kind of, euphoria and energy with it i want to make it with you and the the lanigan kind of slower numbers on songs for the death you you could be excused for hitting skip on them i mean yes that might be sacrilegious to say but if you weren't feeling it and you just wanted to like just pump into kind of the more fast paced stuff you know you don't think I'm worth a dime, but I'm worth a million dollars. Or if you go into oh, no one knows, first it giveth. Yeah, if you're in that kind of zone in your head, if that's the kind of night out or that's the kind of run that you want to do, you don't need Lanigan coming in with something laconic. I think, I mean, I don't run, so stop me if I'm wrong here, but it's the equivalent of. Yeah, you get in a really good pace and then you have to suddenly stop because there's a traffic light. Yeah. And then yeah. you're getting up that pace again and then, oh, hold on, I need to slow it down now. I'm I'm amongst people and it's a bit too busy to kind of charge through. But it's not it's, it's not a huge detriment to the album at all, is it's it? It's still a fucking banger of an album and it's absolutely lightning in a bottle. Like, I know Conneria, dear listener, will argue with me on this, but their, their next release, it just didn't have the same oomph and everyone was waiting for it. And I think a big part of me is like, oh, if you can't follow it up, what good is it? But as I get older and definitely wiser, everyone's saying it. 
at least you got lightning in a bottle once. Like that's good enough. Most people never really get that or spend their life trying for that. Like you, they had it on this album. It is incredible. Even just to have a really great song is good enough. But like this whole album as a package is good. But how much of it do you think is Dave Grohl on the kit? I don't think that's really fair. I think that's a, I mean, he's a good drummer. Definitely. Um, I think there was a certain novelty having Dave Grohl behind the drum kit. Because we're talking fucking prime era Foo Fighters as well. Like they had, uh, uh, there's nothing left to lose. They were coming into the one by one tour cycle. And there was always that kind of discussion about the tension within the band, you know. As, As much as Dave Grohl comes along as like the nice guy of rock and roll, and I still believe that, you know, that... Dave Grohl is my religion. Uh, I do think sometimes that he had had a tendency of it has to sound like this, you know. And and we've had evidence of that with his experiences with the former drummer of Foo Fighters, uh, William Goldsmith, where Goldsmith got absolutely dumped out of the recording studio for there's nothing left to lose. So there was always that kind of tension between Dave and the rest of the band. And it was just so apparent around the time of Songs of the Death getting released that I'm sure I'm sure you you heard the rumors as well, be it online or in magazines, that there was talk when Dave Grohl said that he was joining Queens of the Stone Age that that's it for the Foo Fighters. He he definitely adds to the album. Definitely adds to the album. Uh, I think that his inclusion as kind of like it was almost like a big stamp of approval. Like Dave Grohl's going to drum on this, then, you know, it must be really good. But I think it's unfair to say that it was all Dave Grohl's doing. I think that it was just the right time, the right place. It was just incredible meeting of creative minds, but I still listen to Queens of the Stone Age, including their latest stuff. Not for the drumming. I think that the beauty of Queens of the Stone Age is, is Josh Holmes' songwriting and the fact that, you know, when he was in Caius, he experimented with things like chucking an electric guitar into a bass amp to get those real heavy low ends. I think that every little thing that Josh Holm did from Caius through the Desert Sessions all led up to, you know, songs of uh, songs for the death being his magnus opus. I think that was just the perfect storm rigs of everything, you know. He knows what works when it comes to songwriting. He knows what works when it comes to Lanigan's inclusion or to Oliveri's inclusion. He got he struck it lucky when Dave Grohl said that he wanted to jump on and play drums. I think you're right when you talk about the right time because if you had Dave in the band now, you might not get the same result. But I think at that time in the Foo Fighters, I read two books on Queens of the Stone Age and they both sort of said, that Dave was having tension with Taylor and also yep. Josh was basically like, um, you know, he's so good. He makes me feel like a guitarist again instead of a damn music teacher. So they were vibing. But then Nick's like, I think he's enjoying not having the responsibility of taking care of everyone. You know, we're taking care of him. He doesn't have to sign the checks. You've got not just the right people for the right time, but the right mind frames. Dave, Dave Grohl's just like, yes, I can just relax and play music and not have to worry about all this other shit. Leave it to those guys. Yeah, I mean, like, a heaviest of crown, like, to go from I was the drummer in Nirvana to, oh, my God, I have to, I, I, I've I've got to take care of people now, you know. It used to be, 
I, I had to take care of Kurt Cobain. And then it became, I have to take care of Taylor, Nate, Chris Shiflett, who took over at that time as well. Then I got to take care of the, the uh, recording studios. Then I got to take care of uh, the label. So, yeah, maybe for Dave Grohl, the, the thing about Songs for the Deaf is that it was a bit of an extended vacation from the humdrummery that maybe he found himself in. He strikes me as the kind of guy that can get his business affairs done but would much prefer to just be playing music. That's always the kind of vibe I get from Dave Grohl. He's astute when it comes to business, but, you know, it's, he, he just likes to be creative, whether it be shooting documentaries these days, making music videos, or jamming with Queens of the Stone Age. I mean, I think that's one of the most important things as well as that. Do you think that the Desert Sessions influenced what musicians Josh Hom would like to use in subsequent albums? Because we ended up with uh, the second guitarist, Troy Van Leeuwen, yeah. Off the basis, off the basis of desert sessions. So, do you think Dave Grohl maybe just skipped over the desert session part and went, no, 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 I want to drum on that. Fuck if I know. I do have a grab though of them <laughs> in the studio, like, and Josh is trying to teach or trying to tell Dave, sorry, this is the sort of drum beat I want, and Dave's a bit too slick, and Josh is like, no, no, more like shit, basically. Should have got me for a shit drum fill. And then we do it on the fourth line, uh, or after the fourth line, to bring in the next chorus. And that one's a focus one? Eight of just kind of jamming around, <coughs> and then it goes back to four that kind of rope it in again. Well, that's a fucked up one. Right. And then from there it alternates. You should okay, you should so say when you're gonna when you're uh, cueing them, just say fucked up or okay, focus. Fucked up or focused. Okay. <laughs> Alright, let's just go through it. Fucked up or focused. There's some songwriting there. But you can really hear they this album has a lot of fun in the spaces. Like when the yeah. guitar stops, then it's either dead silence or just like a sick feel or something silly. And when I was listening to it, I was like, fuck, they're just enjoying that freedom in those little gaps there. And then to find that clip and they're like, no, no, this part's the fucked up. This part's the really focused part. I was like, yes, they actually thought long and hard about it. And you can really, really hear it in God is in the radio here. really really good trick for songwriters if you've got something that's like you know there's four on then four off just in one of them add an extra beat you know have five just like they did at the end of that song it just makes it sound a little bit more interesting with with minimal effort songwriting 101 with big rigs coming Been at you hanging around with dr drums a bit too much for that haven't you um i think that that dave and josh have an affinity towards each other because despite the fact that Dave Grohl didn't appear on any other Queens of the Stone Age albums. They did get together to create Them Crooked Vultures, and I believe Them Crooked Vultures are currently recording uh, a follow-up to their last album. So, yeah, there there must be some kind of 
real kind of energy between the pair of them that makes Dave Grohl decide out of all the musicians he's worked with, you know, like at one point he was going to be a heartbreaker with Tom Petty, you know, at one point he drummed on the uh, backbeat uh, soundtrack with Thurston Moore and everyone like that. Everybody's horny dad, Thurston Moore. Every, yeah, everyone's horny uncle, <laughs> Thurston Moore. Everyone's favorite guy that didn't realize what he had, <laughs> Thurston Moore, you know? This is a pro Kim Gordon podcast, ladies and gentlemen, as well. But, you know, what adults get up to, let them get up to it. What a lame one. <laughs> anyway. He just, I can't get into this. Um, allegedly, there was a guy, I'm not going to say who it is, but you can piece it together. Like, now he's just like doing griffs of like basically arts festivals where it's like, we've got this guy from this band and he just does noise sets and charges everyone, you know, the fucking bookers thousands of dollars and like demands five-star hotels uh, allegedly. Are you talking about the fucking Dead Sea again? I am talking about Dead Sea and Thurston Moore, uh, allegedly. Just dog shit. Like fucking keep it in your pants and keep writing good songs, you fucking idiot. But I mean, of all of the musicians Dave Grohl has worked with, he always seems to come back to two the most. Now, Josh Homme's one of them. And the other one's Pat Smear. I can't count how many times Pat Smear has been in Foo Fighters, out of Foo Fighters. He was in Nirvana during In Utero, and then he went on and did Foo Fighters. So, yeah, there must be an affinity that Dave has with Josh Harm if it's kind of, yeah, it's 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 playtime. I'm off to have a jam with Josh. And it works, because the album sounds like they're having a ton of fun. They're fucking around with, like, different kind of dynamics involved in it. Um, you know, A Song for the Dead has got that fantastic pause towards the end of the uh, the song where Dave Grohl stops drumming and then yells and they all come back in together. Fucking hell. And, and it's, it's the dynamics, it's the songwriting, it's the catchiness, it's even the pacing of the album... How it's contained in this kind of it, its own little world, you know. You think it, it's a guy driving uh, around the desert with uh, the radio station on, which was, you know, clearly what your intro. A really good intro, by the way. I was actually totally into that. It psyched me to fuck up for this podcast. It's just a complete album, isn't it? I just, I don't know what else to say other than there's a reason why we keep coming back to it. There's a reason why... Familiarity. Perhaps more likely, Riggs, is the fact that as f- it's one of the fucking best albums that the new millennium provided us with. And I'll die on that hill. But I've never heard anyone... I've heard people critique it like you did regarding the Lanigan parts, but I've never heard anyone turn around and go... Oh, nah, I fucking hate that album. Even people that aren't into that kind of music will go, oh, that, that, no one knows, but that music video where they're hunting a deer, yeah, that, that's pretty fun, you know? Well, obviously the, the production is top shelf. It's fucking good. And there is so much discussion online about how Josh got his guitar tone. And I was talking to uh, my dear friend, Bobby, and Bobby was saying, oh, you're doing Queens of Stone Age. You know, there's a like a YouTube channel that's obsessed with the guitar tone of Josh. It's called Living Room Gear Demos. And they have d- done so many videos on it. It's like, so you've got five Josh Homme tone myths. 
Josh Homme Tone Secret with Boss SD1. I bought and tried the secret Josh Homme amp. The secret amps behind no one knows. Vlogumentary. Searching for Josh Homme's roots in Norway. They go to Norway to find out Josh Homme's roots. Queens of the Stone Age Tones. Can the Boss Katana do the Ampeg sound? That's just to name a few. There is a YouTube channel dedicated to this guy just trying to get the tone from this album. And apparently guitar nerds are just trying to figure out this mystery. Why? Why are people trying to replicate that sound? Guitar nerds, man. I don't. I don't know. I'm not. Not into that thing. But they obviously are. And if they are guitar nerds, then they should really be into Troy. Troy Van Leeuwen. Like, let's do a Troy appreciation chat. Doesn't play guitar on this record, but toured with them. Obviously, failure. Yeah. A perfect circle. He played two tracks on Orgy's Candy Ass. He did productions on Slaves on Dope. Sweethead. Sun Trash played keyboards on Cold Chambers Chamber Music. He played on the Mondo Generator album, a drug problem that never existed. He had a small part in the programming of Crazy Town's Gift of Game, played lead guitar on some Robbie Williams tracks, and he's also done one of the most dog shit fucking remixes I've ever heard in my life. Oh, God. Psychonaut, you've done remixes, you've done electronic music. You know exactly how he's done that, hey? Just rearrange the stems. There's no processing, there's nothing on that, am I right? Uh, hold on, well, no surprises there, Riggs, because that's all remixing is, is fucking remixing stems. Congratulations for stating the obvious No, there. not remixing stems, rearranging stems. It's bad, it's not a good, he's no Roy Mayorga, is he? He's none. Just rearranging those stems. I, so I'm like, look, it's not fair of me to sit here in my ivory tower and throw stones and say, that's a shit remix. So I've had to go at remixing that song and it's a fucking club banger. Featuring DJ Starscream. I actually quite enjoyed that. <laughs> it had a real real trance vibe to it. But, you know, like, everything that you've reeled off, fair enough. He, he can't be great at everything, you know. Maybe it was just a bad remix. But, no, I think, we, I think that he joining Queens of the Stone Age, I, I absolutely loved. Because it lifted them then from, uh, like, a just a desert rock or stoner rock band, however you want to announce them. They seemed a lot more well-rounded. Like I, I love the fact that um, his inclusion of keys really adds kind of like an unnerving quality mm-hmm. to that album. I mean, when you think about, again, you know, a song for the dead, you when you think about that song and its dynamics, you're thinking... 
Um, that whole the the crash when it comes to the verse. That whole bum 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 bum. And then, and then her. You think about that that bit at the end where they pause and all come back in. But you definitely think about that fucking synth noise, you know, that synth sound that fades in before the guitar comes in and does that relentless riff. Fuck, it's a good song from a fucking good album. But I like the fact that Troy Van Leeuwen, uh, when he came into it, it wasn't just a one-off because I think that his stuff that he does with, with keyboards and synths um, are some of the best parts of later Queens of the mm-hmm. Stone Age albums. Like like the sample that he uses for 666 in Era Vulgaris is absolutely unhinged. And when you hear them do that live and the build-up is just that synth sample, it's incredible. So yeah, for as much as we talk about Dave Grohl's involvement on that album, I think it is equally as important to recognize Troy Van Leeuwen's involvement on that album because, you know, much like Linkin Park, that whole album from that band and that lineup was just a beautiful, beautiful sum of all of its parts. And and we end up with, like, perhaps one of the most quintessential albums of the early 2000s. I mean, I didn't have the fortune, I'm, I'm hoping you did, of catching Queens of the Stone Age at Big Day Out when they were touring it. Were, were you at Big Day Out when Queens of the Stone Age were performing that album? Or Yeah, and I went to their sideshow uh, at Festival Hall. Uh, I was very, very close to the front. I'm almost certain the distillers supported, which would make sense. Um, yeah. And, yeah, maybe the less said about their relationship and Josh and his kids, the the better. Um, if, if what's been alleged is true, fuck Josh. But um, that time in particular, that, yeah. it was fucking good. Um, like, yeah, yeah. That, that's hard to comment on and that's on our place. But that show was fucking pretty, pretty good. I just remember like Josh walking on stage and like how tall he was. Just blew me away. Nick was going off. Um, I think Joey Castillo was drumming. And I always thought he was like, a, I think it's a common thought he was just a little bit ahead of the beat a lot a lot of the time like he always felt like he was in a rush but it was still a a really good show in a relatively small venue but i do know someone who was in their job at big day out was to look after either josh or nick now they would not they told me this story right uh, like a year ago and they wouldn't put it on record. And they're like, what happens backstage stays backstage. And I was like, well, I'm going to yep. tell it on the podcast. And they're like, well, I can't stop you. So without giving any sort of of their identifying features away. So their job was to basically make sure that Josh and Nick were never in the same room, not even in the same hallways, never the same cars, not the same hotels, never the same lobbies, never the same after parties. The only time they were be, would be together was on stage. They would even have to come up on separate sides of the stage if they were together it was going to be a nightmare somewhere along the line one night there was a fuck up and they did end up at the same after party or hotel lobby or something and as soon as they saw each other allegedly just went straight for each other's throats and started like wrestling and fighting and screaming at each other and so so someone was actually like on the payroll of like make sure these two grown men don't look at each other Basically, like, so tensions, if that story is true, which I'm going to say, 
It could be. <laughs> I was going to say 100%, but it could be. Possibly. 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 My, le- my yeah. lawyer has told me. Say possibly. So our, le- yeah, so our legal team has <laughs> advised us. That is some fucking real tension. And you can hear Nick is a just a ball of energy, you know? Josh has even yeah. said he's a tornado, and a tornado just destroys and goes on to the next city. And Josh was like, I'm in the tornado cleanup crew, and all I ever see is the debris, and I'm sick of it. We used to have a thing called Jekyll and Hyde where wherever – Nick did something, we'd blame Nick in the press. And whenever I did something, we'd blame Nick in the press. But I think Nick started believing our press and thinking that he's got to be the next Sid Vicious or something. So at this point, he was a real ball of energy and they just weren't getting along at all. But I've got a grab here of like Queen's playing that you think ain't worth a dollar, but you know, I'm worth a million bucks or whatever it is. In 2018, there is no oomph in that song. Fucking get Nick in there. You're free. Yeah, you need his scowling, don't you, yeah. to make that song, to give it its umph. Um Any reason why Josh Harmon, Nick Oliveri didn't get along? I mean, I know Nick was late to the party joining Caius, and then after Caius, he ended up working on, you know, Queens of the Stone Age, which was the, the, the first kind of solo record, which had, um, yeah, yeah, regular John. Oh, it's just brilliant, you know, because it, it just showed that kind of wonky dynamic that Queens of the Stone Age were going for. What what happened between Josh and, and Nick? I know Nick went on and got arrested and had, like, armed fucking police come and arrest him and there was awesome weird kind of stuff that felt like that was the climax of the ongoing years and years of, uh, you know, tension between Nick and... Uh, and Josh, or it was kind of like the end result of everything that you heard of Nick Oliveri when you hear that, oh, you know, armed police came because there, it was a domestic disturbance. But then I read that, you know, he, he did Mondo Generator with uh, two British musicians and uh, they couldn't speak highly of him. So what the hell was the breakdown between Josh and Nick? I'm not even sure. Like some of the, the books or even like Nick had no fucking idea. Like Nick was taken aback by it. I don't know. I, I know a few bands who just like for maybe they just get bored or whatever, but they're just like, all right, time to kick someone out. Time to create some drama. I assume there was something to it because like, they definitely lost some oomph, I think, when losing Nick, but they probably gained a bit of stability maybe, you know? Yeah. Because that's a pretty unsustainable way to tour, I think, you know, um, if you're constantly just – being a tornado. But yeah, I'm not really, really sure. And there's all this sort of backstories and, and gossip and rumors that feels pretty rough to comment on, given that I spread so many rumors, you know, on this podcast. I've yeah. said so many unsubstantiated things that I take, that I make up in my mind and take as gospel. So it's big of me, I think, you know. You're a big man, Riggs. You're a big man. <laughs> Have we got an advert? I mean, we've, we've, we've been talking quite a lot. Let's let, I think we might need to break it up a bit. Is there an advert this week? Yes, absolutely. So 
35 grand straight out of the bank and into a really great organization that's spreading awareness of a musical style that was sort of big in the early 2000s, but has kind of gone out of vogue a little bit. And so I think with our backing and when we can work together, we could actually bring white man funk back to the forefront. God damn, new metal this and grindcore that, death metal whatever. Hey kids, stop listening to cattle decapitation and try some white man funk. Don't believe anyone who says white man funk is just someone asking a bunch of questions over funky beats. That's wrong. Check this track out. And where, where did I put my keys? Don't you think we need a ball to like put at the door? And when I walk in the door, I see your sexy face. And then I put the keys in the ball. And then I remember that's where they are. Or maybe do you think we could get a hook? And I put the keys on the hook. What do you want to do for dinner? What do you feel like eating? I don't mind. Yeah. We can go and get something if you want. Or would you rather Uber Eats? I'm so sorry, listeners. Why don't you let me know? I can't guess everything you want to eat. Yeah, Chinese sounds good. Have we been to that place before? Oh, yeah. Pretty funky. Am I right? Starting to forget all about Napalm Death. I'm pretty sure you are. What happens if I told you there was a white man funk act called Jimmy Barista and the Heavenly Scroggin family featuring the trail mix hikers? Would you believe that? What? You think they just shout instructions during their songs? Wrong. That's not what funk's about. Check it out. All right, everyone. Want to see up on the dance floor? That's right, fill it out. Let's get those feet moving. Funk! Get up! Yeah! Now get down! You can get back up now if you want. Now side to side. Come on! Fuck yeah, get up! Oh, I mean, you're already up. Get down and up again! Oh yeah, now turn around! Look at the person! Look at him in their eyes! And then they go down, you go up! And then swap it over! Yep, I actually do hear it on that one. That is not the best example to sell you funk, but at least it's not just some white guy replacing the word fuck with funk. I mean, that would be pretty lame. It isn't, is it? How am I meant to sell this shit to people? This sucks. Do you want to funk me? Because I think I want to funk you. And I think we could funk together And it would be so funky Oh And I can't funk like a young man anymore But I got some funky tricks oh Left in my store, yeah My funk style determines your funk style Oh yeah, funk it or not Go get it Yeah, now, okay, okay, stop like, some dude is paying me $35,000 to try and sell white man funk, and I can't do it. This this is dire. Who listens to this? 
it's, you it's nothing. Nothing's happening. Um, yeah. I mean, White Man Funk, it's out there if you want it. I, I don't recommend it. But you, but you can get it. Um, yeah. Fuck. Fuck this. I'm so sorry. My head was in my hands the whole time. <laughs> Hearing that back was fucking cooked. It got me <laughs> thinking about the whole yelling instructions over funk music, you know. Do you think that the best kind of amalgamation then for a white ma- uh, a white man funk band is... Um, God, I can't believe I had to say that out loud in the morning. Do you think the best combination then is like... Some really good kind of funk musicians and a guy that runs a fucking spin class at the gym. <laughs> yeah. And if that is if that is the case, do you think that we've just offered Peloton the best idea for them to sell tons of their bikes, you know? White women dancing to white man funk. Hell yeah. That's actually not a bad or, idea. Or spinning to white man It's also kind of eugenics-y in a, in, in a way. Speaking of eugenics, or speaking about genetics, shall we say, um, not just Dave and not just Troy that had their fingerprints on this album, I believe that Paz and her sister were involved in Songs for the Deaf as well. Playing strings on the Mosquito song. Fucking what an MVP in everything she does. She was holding Zwan together. Crikey. I'd, I'd let, I, I don't ever want you to mention that <laughs> word ever again. Uh, and now she is the full-time bass player for Pixies. Yeah. Yeah, but I've looked at the run sheet and uh, I see here radio voices. What is that? The That more... More guest appearances on the album that we weren't quite familiar with. So run us through who else appeared on the album that you might not be aware it's of. It's pretty cool, actually. Like, hey, do you want to come on my album? And it's like, yeah, but I can't be fucked bringing my guitar. It's like, don't worry. Just pretend you're a radio DJ. So you got Jesse from Eagles of Death Metal, uh, Twiggy from Marilyn Manson and A Perfect Circle, Casey Chaos, Natasha Schneider from Eleven, Lux Interior from The Cramps and Blag. From Dwarves uh, opening it up as the iconic Kip Casper, which I don't know is is that like a reference to um, Adam Casper, who produced some of the tracks on this album and mixed a few. Also did Foo Fighters, Nothing Left to Lose, and One by One. We've talked about him before because he did one of the greatest albums that you and I totally agree on, Cold's 13 Ways to Bleed on Stage. Apart from what you said at the end of that sentence, I can agree with most of it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's so cool to have all these people in, but they can just come and be silly and fun and not have to worry about even tuning their guitar. It's just like, no, just come pretend to be a DJ. And, and what a beautiful little Easter egg to go through the liner notes and be like, holy shit, that was blag. But, you know, we're running out of time. And for an album that a lot of focus was on the drumming, 
Do you not feel that it's kind of fitting that we get old mate Dr. Drums to give his views on it? I mean, is it a drummer's album? Is it is it for drummers by drummers? For, but, um, I don't know. Can we get Dr. Drums? Let's see. Oh, we've done it! Oh, yes. Dr. Drums. Good morning, how are you? I'm Dr. Drums. I'm interested in drums. I'm not a real doctor, but I am a real drummer. I am an actual drummer. I live like a drummer. Yeah. I like to play the drums. It's your boy, Dr. Drums, and so many people have asked me because... I have a seven-year doctorate in drums. Hey, what do you think of the drumming on Queens of the Stone Age's album, Songs for the Deaf? Oh, did you know it was Dave Grohl? Yes, of course. Of course I knew it was Dave Grohl, and the drumming is incredible. And I have a favorite moment that highlights just how good it is. No, it's not this drum roll from No One Knows. I mean, yeah, it's awesome. And it's not... This drum roll from No One Knows Either. My God, that is good. But it is not my favourite oh. drumming on the album. Jesus, it's good though, isn't it? That's, that's really good. It is. And it's it not really on Go With The Flow, even though that song is just a driving force of nature. If a metronome drank whiskey and partied, it would be Dave Grohl. But no matter how good these drums are, it is still not my favorite drumming on the album, but God damn, is that good. You actually can tell where you are in the song just by listening to the drums. It's fucking so good. My favorite drumming is actually in the chorus of First It Giveth. Have a listen to this. I mean, you don't have to have gone through seven years of drum schooling to know that is an incredible beat. But the thing that makes it really, really impressive is when it's put in with all of the other tracks, the final song gives those toms room to move. Like they're kind of primal and they're dancey and they're fun and they're, they're a bit flashy, but the mix doesn't push them right up. It, it sits them back. So only when you're really listening do you tune into it and you're like, oh my God, that's really impressive. Have a listen to this. Now, you might be asking, hey, Dr. Drums, Dave Grohl, great drummer. What would it sound like if Travis Barker drummed on No One Knows? Oh, for fuck's well, sake. Here's what I reckon it would sound like. Fuck's sake. What if he drummed on Go With The Flow? What would that sound like? She said I'll myself away They're just photos after all 
pretty different vibe. And let me leave you with this. What would it sound like if Travis Barker drummed on You Think I Ain't Worth a Dollar But I Feel Like a Millionaire, the incredible opening track for Songs for the Deaf? It probably sounds something like this. Call me Dr. Drums, sing it! And I am an incredible drummer, you know it's true, I have a doctorate degree, and that is how I'm able to perfectly recreate Travis Barker's drumming. You know that I'm right, I like to play the drums. I didn't mind that last Travis Barker drum thing. <laughs> oh man, you... You've softened. No, I just thought that it was quite, quite, quite erratic. And you know, I like a bit of noise rock, you know. Um, Riggs, there's a very weird kind of set of instructions that you sent me. I kind of thought that you were going to take after your compatriots, you know, James Wan, and make me uh, do a Saw-style puzzle, but... (laughs) You're gonna have to run this game through to uh to, to audiences, okay. you know. So, why the fuck have I got something called Soundhound? Okay, because Shazam doesn't allow you to hum or sing into it. So, I was listening to this album. It's like fuck. Josh's harmonies are amazing. Incredible harmonies. And I was like, I wish I had the voice like that. And then I thought, well, what happens if Psychonaut and I pick songs for each other and we had to sing them into our smartphones, my Motorola G30 Power, and then if the app can recognize the song, we get a point and the person with the most points wins. Psychonaut, do you have the app? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I've got three songs that I would like you to sing. <laughs> and uh, you've got three songs that I would that you would like me to sing. And I've got a bonus round, yeah. which I think will be pretty funny to listen to if you're listening to it on public transport with surround sound on. Psychonaut, would you like to go first singing or would you like me to go first? Um, You can go first singing. Okay, no problem. What is the song that you would like me to sing into the Soundhound app? Uh, how many do we get? Three. Yeah. All right. I would like you to start off with Dig by Mudvayne. <laughs> okay. 
Oh, you piece of shit. Um, okay. Brum, brum, ding, brum, brum, ding. Brum, brum, ding, brum, brum, ding. Dig, bury me underneath. But that's not humming. That's just singing, isn't it, Reese? You can do both. Sorry, we couldn't find that one. I failed. I'm sorry. It's really hard. Psychonaut. Now, I've done all three of yours, so I know that it can be done. The first one I want you to do is Abba's Money, Money, Money. Has it done it? Doing something. Ah, oh, no, it thought I was doing Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll by Ian Drury and the Blockheads. I'm sorry. Or, or Walk That Walk by Dora, or Teenage Dream by T-Rex. See all. Nah, not even on there. No. You really added a bit of James Hetfield at the end. You're like, do 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 Well, that's, that's, that's the smoker's cough <laughs> coming through. What's my next song? Riggs, your next song is Motherfucker Equals Redeemer. Oh, you piece of dog shit. <laughs> uh, no, 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 I'll take it back. It is actually Saint Anger by Metallica. Oh! <laughs> that is really, really, really good. And I wish I made you sing this. Fuck, that's genius. <clears throat> Saint anger round my neck, Saint anger round my neck. He never gets respect. You flush it out, you flush it out, you flush it out, you flush it out. It, uh, it's loading. We couldn't find that one. I'm sorry. Oh. Wait, wait, let me just try one more time. I'm madly in anger with you. I'm madly in anger with you. I'm only in anger with you. That's got to be it. That's got to be it. Come on. Searching. Oh, we couldn't find that one. No, nah, I failed. I'm sorry. Tur- I've- what happens if it turns out that we're doing this game on the one day that their entire system <laughs> yeah, shut yeah, down? Yeah. Like, Elon Musk's bought it out <laughs> and strip mining it as we speak. Hey? $20 for a blue tick? This is bullshit. All right. Your next song, Psychonaut, and I think you can do this, is... Gorche and Kimbra's somebody that I used to know. Oh my god, right, okay. Bling, 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 isn't it bling 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 i thought it's gonna come up with twinkle twinkle little yeah. star but no it came with gotcha gotcha and kim oh well done man huge you're in the lead now what's my last song shallow by lady gaga from the soundtrack to a star is born okay tell me something girl are you happy in this modern world it says it couldn't find it, but give me another chance. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just going to hum it because I think you've had better success with humming. Yeah. Wait, hold up. Uh, it says, I feel so good by Joanna Connor. I'm sorry. Oh, man. Sorry. Well, I'm zero for zero in this round. Psychonaut, your last song is All the Small Things by Blink182. Oh, bleep, bleep, bloop, bloop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who are you to doubt my dudes? Fucking Don't be doubting my dudes. Man, I thought we'd go to a tiebreaker, but obviously it isn't needed. But tell me if you're interested in this. All right. So basically, I've got some songs here. I've got Karma Chameleon, YMCA, Don't Stop Believing, and Africa by Toto. I'm going to spin the wheel. Whatever pops up, we both start singing, and whoever gets it first on their phone gets a point. Oh, it, you don't stop believing. Oh no. I'm out. I got it. I got it. Oh my god. I got it. You can see here. Oh my god. I thought I was singing uh Laurie Line, part of your world from The Little Mermaid. Oh well. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed that. Last one, here we go. Okay. Oh no, I couldn't find it. I've been robbed here. It's kind of hard to do when you're trying to think of the song in, in your head to sing, but then someone else is in your headphones singing a completely fucking off-key version of it, and vice versa, might I add, as well. But, uh, Queens of the Stone Age, Songs for the Deaf, uh, I, I stand by it, Quintessential 2000 soundtrack. Uh, big shout-out to uh, listener uh, Tom Morrison, T-Bones, for... Offering that out and suggesting it and just pushing us and nudging us and elbowing us in the ribs to do it. It's done now. Uh, what have you got queued up for the next episode about your death trip? Next week, I've got dear listener Josh on and we're talking about a band that I don't know if you know, but you might. Neurotica. Oh, yeah. No, that name rings and a bell. And we're talking about Smackdown Records as well. So that's going to be an interesting chat. And then after that, Let's get you and I back together. Let's talk about the prodigy and fat of the lamb. Oh yes, definitely. So that'll be a really good one. But yeah, next week is probably going to be pretty wrestling heavy. Oh, I'm I'm definitely going to be tuning into that. And uh, remember, ladies, gentlemen, boys, and girls, this week ask your listening device nothing. Hum instead. Goodbye. <laughs>